all settled in up there and God using them. Jen is becoming a country girl. She's making her own jam and oh, yeah, it's really cute. Kids are sprouting up but had a neat time with the men up there but it's good to be home also. This time we'll invite the ushers to come forward as they do to receive the offering. Go over a few of the announcements for upcoming events. Um, our baptism that had been scheduled for yesterday has been rescheduled for this coming Saturday. So Saturday at 6 o'clock, Pirates Cove, Corona Del Mar, we'll have a baptism. If you'd like to be baptized, just show up. And if you'd just like to come and share in the time together, you're welcome to be there. We'll have a picnic or dinner, sunset, whatever. But uh, afterwards, there are maps in the foyer if you don't know how to get to Corona Del Mar. Singles ministry meets today at 6 o'clock over in the overflow room, which is that classroom by the little foyer on that end of the church. So if you're single, you know someone who's single, invite them to come on out at 6 o'clock for that time together. Today is the day for the Villa Valencia outreach, and so if you'd like to help with that, there's a church service over at Villa Valencia at 1 o'clock. And then at 2 o'clock, they go out and visit the senior citizens who are there at Villa Valencia. And so there are maps in the foyer for that as well. A good opportunity for you to get involved ministering to someone else. Um, today, for you ladies, all you women are invited. There's a leadership meeting and <clears throat> lunch <coughs> up in the fellowship hall. And so if, if you're involved as a woman in any aspect of leadership here in the church, you're invited to come, or if you're just interested in seeing what opportunities are there, uh, you're invited too. If you haven't signed up for it, think they have enough lunch anyway, just go on up after second service. Good thing for you women to enjoy together and gives the men a chance to go home and spend some time with the Lord watching a football game together. So... Uh, <laughs> Also, there's a new opportunity for men on Tuesday mornings, uh, and it starts September 5th, and the, um, what's that place called? I know I have it here somewhere, Cornerstone Bakery. It's over, you may not know it, but it's being near Home Depot, uh, La Paz and Pacific Park. Um, from 7 until 7.45, the men who want to will be gathering, looking at the scriptures, praying together. If you can only come for part of the time and you have to leave to get to work, or if you're late and just come for the last few minutes, that's fine. But go on over on Tuesday morning, September 5th, and uh, just enjoy this time of fellowship together. There are flyers available in the foyer, or you can see Pastor Ken for more information. And then this Wednesday night, we continue our Wednesday night study through the book of Proverbs. It's been a really rich time. And this Wednesday, we will also celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And so if you can, come on out on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we'll have this time together. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We've been studying through the book of Galatians on Sunday mornings, and it's been a a great time for me. I've enjoyed it immensely. Now we've come to the final chapter, just a few more weeks to, to finish up this book. This morning we'll be looking at the first five verses of chapter 6, Galatians. The key word in this passage is a word in verse 1, and the word is restore. It's a, it's a word that they used in the Gospels when they talked about the fishermen mending their nets, but it's also a word that's used throughout the scripture to talk about the kind of fixing and healing, and it's sometimes translated perfecting. The work that God does on our lives to take us from who we are and to mold us into something that's fixed. See, we're broken, we're damaged. It's God's desire to make us whole and complete, to heal us and renew and refresh us. And so that means an awful lot of our lives, it's just a restoration process. I, the older I get, the more I appreciate th seeing things that are restored. Well, I remember when I was a kid, if I would see some old car that was fixed up, I would look at it and just like, it's nothing, you know, okay, you have some old Chevy, but man, look at that new Corvette. I mean, that's a car. The old thing, I don't know. I didn't appreciate it. 
I, it, I looked at an old fixed up thing, kind of the way I would look at some old guy who's trying to look young. You know, the fake hair and the face all pulled back. And, and uh, you know, I said guys. And, uh, but, <laughs> you know, you just think it's just trying to be something that it isn't. But the older I get, I appreciate seeing guys that know how to fix themselves up a little bit, but I also love to see that old car that's restored. It looks the way it looked when I was a kid. One of my favorite days is when down at Huntington Beach at the pier, they have a day when they get all these restored woodies, those beautiful cars that when I was a kid, they just looked like an old station wagon to me, but now when they're fixed up, and they, they're so incredible, just beautiful cars. I, I could look at them all day long and have several times. I, a friend of mine just bought a steam locomotive. Um, it's a narrow-gauge steam locomotive. It was used in a sugar mill over 100 years ago, and it's one uh, serial number off from the one that is at Disneyland. So it's the same as that. But he bought it, it's been sitting for years, nothing's been happening. Now it's sitting in his backyard. And he's gonna completely restore it, build it from scratch, make it certify it, make it useful again. And looking at that train, you just go, I see it now, but I know what it's gonna look like, I know what it's gonna run like, the thrill of seeing that kind of restoration. Well, what Paul is talking about here in the beginning of Galatians chapter six is that kind of makeover, that kind of restoration that we are to do for each other. As we've been looking through Galatians, we've seen what sin does. We've talked about how sin is really doing things that hurt you and hurt others. It's why God forbids certain things because he knows they're destructive. The problem is, ever since the Garden of Eden, you and I inherited a capacity to always want things that will end up hurting, to desire to do things that are always the wrong things. And, and if we follow our own natural bent, the flesh will always lead us to messing up others and messing up ourselves in the process. And so there in the end of chapter 5, Paul drives this point home by saying, there are two ways you can live walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. And he says, people who are walking after the flesh, here's what they do. They're hateful and angry. They argue all the time. They commit adultery. They're drunks. They, all of these things that really, you look, and if you just go on autopilot, that's where you end up in this world. And he says, that's one way to live. But when you do that, you're bringing immense pain on yourself and others. But he said there's an alternative, and that's the walk in the Spirit. And that's living life in such a way that as you live in relationship to the Lord, the Spirit works inside you, and miraculously from your life flows forth love and joy, peace and patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. It's like, what happened to you? Your life was a mess, and look what God has done. You're oozing forth healing and help. Your life is fruitful. Your life has changed. And he says, those are the two walks, and you choose. Go one way or go the other way. But here's the problem. I'll walk in the Spirit, and I'm always just one step away from being in the flesh. But the good thing is, when you're walking in the flesh, you're only one step away from being in the Spirit. It's that conscious choice of saying, God, I want to walk with you, and I want you to change me. Walking in the Spirit would be really easy if everyone else around you walked in the Spirit, wouldn't it? I mean, this is the problem that we go through often. You counsel people or, you know, a married couple, and it's like they're both in the flesh, invariably. And so you talk to one of them, and, and you, go, you pump them up on walking in the Spirit, and, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then they go home, and they walk in the Spirit, but their partner's in the flesh. And that's not fair, and that's not fun, and that doesn't work very well. And so when I am in the, in the Spirit and someone else is in the flesh, I have a tendency to get in the flesh to try to talk them into getting in the Spirit. 
And so as we read here in chapter 6, we see Paul addressing this problem. How is the body supposed to heal itself? How do we work together to help restore each other? I see someone who's messing up. They're in pain. They're hurting others. How do we fix that? And he says, brethren... In other words, this is a family deal. If a man, and the word there is anthropos, just means mankind. If a person is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That word for overtaken, it means to be cut off and sort of surprised. It means to be taken in advance, ambushed, if you will. The literal use of the word, well, we see it over in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking about their agape feasts. They would, when they were going to get together, they would have a big potluck, and then afterwards they would celebrate communion. And they had problems at their potlucks. You know, I don't, I've never been to a potluck like this. One thing, they were all just getting hammered for the potluck. And, I mean, I suppose that could make it an interesting time, but I don't think it's the best thing to do. But not only that, people who would get there early would pig out and eat all the food. And people who came later, maybe because they had to walk further, there'd be nothing left for them. Well, Paul uses this word, the same word that's used here for overtaken, as the people who snap up all the food. Don't you hate when that happens if you're at a potluck and somehow you end up at the back of the line and you see people up at the front of the line, it seems like they all want the same food that you want. Your favorite stuff, they're piling it on too. Man, this is good. I could eat the whole thing. And you're at the back going, hey, wait a minute. Save a little for us back here. I know by the time I get up there, the only thing that's going to be left is the stuff I don't like. And so even we make rules at potluck, sometimes they hide some of the food and keep doling it out because, you know, those pigs at the front of the line, they're just going (laughs) to scarf it up. And that's what the picture of what sin does to us. I was up at this men's retreat, and you know how men can eat. And this is up in the jungles up in Oregon. And... It was a buffet line for breakfast, and I'm like, man, I was pretty hungry. I'd traveled, you know, the day before to get there and everything, and, and so I'm like, oh, breakfast. And I see these guys. Somehow I ended up kind of towards the back of the line trying to be, you know, humble, or somebody was talking to me. I don't know what it was, but, and you see all these big Oregon guys. They're all these huge guys with their Birkenstocks with socks on, you know, and it's like, and I'm like, just, sorry, stereotypical Oregon people, and I did, there are a couple people look normal. I go, oh, so you're from California? Yeah, I just moved up. <laughs> but, but I'm seeing the first plate coming off the line, and it's like big old pile of bacon, like 20 pieces of bacon, and pancakes, and French toast, and, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe they're doing this. You know, I'm going to end up with a fruit platter, and... <laughs> It's funny because finally when I start turning the corner and getting up in line, there's a bunch of cantaloupe and stuff, and there are plates just thrown there where somebody got a plate and they put some cantaloupe and grapes and bananas, and then they get up and see the other stuff, and they're like, (laughs) just toss their plate. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, man. But I got up there, and apparently these guys know how guys eat because there was more than enough. As I walked away, one of the last people in line with a stack of bacon the size of a softball, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, it reminded me of, as I had been studying this passage and thinking back in the Corinth church, of how some people would just go to the front of the line and snag it. Well, that's what the devil does to us. That's how we fall. That's how we slip from being in the spirit to the flesh. He cuts us off at the pass. He gets in ahead of us. And next thing we know, it's overtaken us. It's, it's captured us. No one decides, you know, I haven't backslidden in quite a while. So I'm thinking, let's see, a week from Tuesday. I think I'll just backslide. Fall into sin for a while. 
just go do some dumb things, damage myself, and eventually I'm sure I'll pull out of the spin that I'm in. No one thinks that way. But sin, because Satan is so clever, he knows how to get there ahead of us and take away things and mess up things. Next thing we know, our life is a mess. We're in pain and agony, and we need some fixing up. We need some restoration. We need to be healed. The word here, again, for restoration is, is used to refer to the mending of the nets of fishermen. And sometimes we get holes in us, and we just go, I need to be fixed. I need to be stitched together. I need healing. Whenever we need healing, by the way, it comes from being headed off at the pass. It comes from being overtaken in a fault. But now Paul says something that's interesting and amazing. As he shares this with us, he lets us know it is our responsibility to reach out and restore each other. That's how the body works, to proclaim to another the opportunity for healing, for stitches, for being able to enter back into a place where you're comfortably in in relationship with God, where you're walking in fellowship with him. And so he says, you who are spiritual, he just talked about what it is to be spiritual. He could have said, you who are loving and joyful and at peace, your opportunity, your responsibility is to find those who are full of holes and help sew them back together and and restore them and oversee their healing process. But he says, do it in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So, he says, we're brothers. As a result, here we are in this family And some of us at all times are going to be messed up from sin. Some of us are going to do dumb things that are really destroying us. Or some of us will be the victim of someone else doing something to us that has damaged us, that that has the potential to destroy us. And he says, you're supposed to work together on this. This is something that you need to do as a body as friends, as brothers, be willing to reach out and restore. But the problem is, as soon as I look at someone else who has a problem, my natural tendency is to judge them if I'm not having that problem at the moment. There are sometimes none more hard on you than people who have had victory over what it is that you are being defeated in right now. And and that's why earlier, remember in chapter 5 as we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the walk of the Spirit, living in the Spirit. He, right after talking about this beautiful life in the Spirit, he says in the end of the chapter, and let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The trap of spirituality is always, as soon as you start to arrive, you start to think that you got there on your own. As soon as God starts to do a work in your life, you start pointing the finger at other people and judging them because they aren't where you are. Man, if you have a drinking problem, nobody will lecture you like somebody who has had a drinking problem and now had victory over it in so many cases. The same thing goes for every other area of your life. As soon as we start to do well, we can't wait to rip apart others who aren't doing well. And he says, the body will never heal that way. People will never be restored that way. A beautiful example of restoration was Jesus talking to Peter. Peter had been so bold during his life with Jesus, saying that he would never leave Jesus, even pulling a sword to try to fight off the Roman legions. And yet, when it came down to it, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl. He chickened out when the chips were down. Jesus could have really used his support, used somebody to be there with him, but instead, Peter left him alone and ran off into the darkness in disgrace. But Jesus took Peter for a walk after he had risen from the dead. They were walking along the Sea of Galilee there, and Jesus said, Peter, do you really love me? He goes, yeah, I like you. He goes, well, then feed my sheep. And then again, Peter, do you love me? 
I love you, man. Well, tend my lambs. And a third time, do you love me? Yes. You know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. What Jesus was saying to Peter is, you're not done. I'm not through with you. You blew it in a big way. It's hurt you and it hurt me. But I want to proclaim to you that you can start over right now that I can still use you, that you haven't done something that has damaged things so much in our relationship that we can't get back going. He was holding him close and just saying, you're still my guy. You're still my friend. Peter wasn't so sure of it, and that's why when Jesus asked, do you love me, Peter responded with a different word for love because he really didn't know where he stood. But if Jesus had got Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, I love you. And Jesus had gone, well, you sure have a funny way of showing it, don't you? When I could have used you, oh, big, bold Peter with his sword, and now with a little girl, oh, no, I don't even know Jesus. <laughs> like, who do you think you are, man? It's about boom, boom, and start slapping him around. Going, here, I'll stick your head in the hole in my side and, you know, boom, really work you over. But instead, he was reaching out to him. It was not only never addressed the issue, he was letting him know the important thing is that you get back on the horse, that you get back in the game, that you, you're okay with me. And that's what so many of us need to hear. We need to hear it from our brothers and sisters when we fail, when we're hurt, and when we've hurt others. Not to go, let's get this all sorted out but for someone to come to us and to reach out to us and just say, there's healing, there's restoration. You're one step away from being back where you need to be. And to proclaim that to someone, it's a, it's a beautiful and a refreshing thing to do, especially if you don't do it from a position of pride and conceit and arrogance. If you don't do it in a condescending way that says, oh yeah, you've really messed up your life, but..." I'll reach down to you carefully with my gloves on and I'll kind of try to give you a little boost. But instead, it's that embrace of restoration, that declaration, that proclamation, hey, you know what? Our sins are forgiven. You're still a part of the family. You're still one of us. When you fall on hard times and things aren't going well, you feel like you've failed in some way, or even when someone else has done something to you that has damaged you incredibly, one of the things that you'll experience right away is that people want to keep their distance. And you know the feeling because you've probably battled that before. You know someone who's going through a tough time, and it, it's almost like you want to avoid them. And you can spiritualize it and say, you know, I just don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be swarming them. I, you know, I know they've been through a lot, and I just want to respect their you know, privacy and keep my distance. I don't want to bother them at a time like this, call them or go by their house. In reality, deep down inside, you're just going, oh, man, I don't want to ask them how they're doing because they might start to tell me, and I just don't want to hear about it. And I'm afraid I won't have anything to say anyway. Or, you know what? They had this coming, they caused this to happen, and I don't even know if they know that, but I'm going to let them suffer for a while so they'll learn their lesson. In reality, what the body does, what God calls us to do, is a ministry of restoration. And to realize, you know, we are just as prone to messing up as anyone else is, and so we reach out and we hold on to someone and we go, you know what, there's healing for you. God wants to patch you up, and he, he wants to use you still. And to make that declaration, not in an arrogant way, but in, in gentleness, realizing that someone who's an open wound can be hurt very deeply and very devastatingly if you're not careful. And so we should always be careful with each other as we reach out in restoration. We should always realize this person, I don't care how tough they act, they're a sensitive person. They can be wounded further. They've wounded themselves. Don't rub salt in the wound for them. And so resource such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
actually to reach out and bless someone and help them and restore them puts you in a very vulnerable position, not only from an attack of the enemy, but from that pride that comes in or from that pride that will come when they go, you, don't, you are like God to me. You have ministered to me so much. Nobody else has, but you did. And you start to go, yeah, I am the only one. I am the only one that reached out. And then I begin to feel prideful. He goes, be careful. Now as we come into these next four verses, Paul further talks about a balance of burdens. Everyone has burdens that they have to bear. But sometimes our burdens become overwhelming, become devastating. We may have put the burden there, but it's wearing us out. It's destroying us. And in verse 2, he tells us, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To share the load with others when they are knocked down, to be able to help prop them up, fulfills the law of Christ. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Jesus said, the whole law is fulfilled in this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So fulfilling that law, rather than going and obeying all of the rules of the law, if we will be the kind of people who share the load, we'll be fulfilling what the law was trying to do. It's all the law was trying to say. You're in this together, you guys. You need each other. You're a team. Work together. Work toward unity. Don't rip each other apart. Don't tear each other up. Understand, you, well, Benjamin Franklin said it this way. He said, either we will hang together or most certainly we will hang separately. And it's true. None of us can survive unless we together share the load. And so he says to do that, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is, you see someone who's struggling and even if it's because of their own sin, or it's because of someone else's sin, still come and give them a break and lift a bit of that load. You can't take the whole load. But for instance, you see a family who just looks bedraggled. They have all these little kids and they're running everywhere, out of control, and you can just see on the face, it's like, this is killing me. Now, you don't need to go adopt those kids. And you don't also need to go lecture them on birth control. You know, and this is your fault. You know, you should have thought of this before you spit out a whole litter. You know, you think you're some kind of breeder. I mean, why don't, use some sense. Might be true. But what you can do is say, hey, we'd like to come over to your house one night and, and uh, train your animals. No, watch your... <laughs> we'd like to come over and just watch your kids so you guys can get away, get a little break. Sometimes just relieving that burden just for a short time makes a huge difference. You know how, have you ever been in a time when you felt like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, I'm completely broke, it's a, and it doesn't matter how I got there, and then somebody comes along and just gives you a, a bag of groceries, or someone comes along and just offers to take you out to dinner, or, or you know, you just anonymously get a, you know, $50 in the mail or something like that, and it doesn't even begin to pay your bills. But it feels like, wow, somebody noticed. It means so much more than just solving someone's problems. You know, you wish you could just see people who are having a hard time and just go, here, a million dollars, this will solve your problems. But a million dollars, number one, won't solve anyone's problems. You think, it would sure solve mine. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Because you got where you are some way, and you have to figure out how to change your life and get out of that and, and seek the Lord's wisdom for where you are. But it's just a nice thing when someone comes along and props you up a little bit and helps to share that burden. And that's something that we are called to do. Look for somebody who's struggling and just hold a little bit of the burden, lift it a little bit. Now, he goes on to say, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You're just fooling yourself if you think you're better than others, or if you think that you're something. <laughs> and this applies whether you're a person with a burden or you're a person trying to help lift a burden. Some people are so proud they won't let anyone lift their burden. They won't let anyone even help in any way, just listen to them and encourage them because, no, I'm fine. Hey, you're thinking you're more than you are. 
At the same time, there are some of us who just don't want to bother with other people's burdens because, you know, I have problems of my own, and I'm too important for this. I don't have time for you. But he says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. That word for load there in verse 5, and the King James is translated burden just like the earlier one, bear one another's burdens in verse 2. In our translation here in the New King James, they did a good job by using two different words because it is two different words in the Greek. The first one, the burden that you, that you bear for someone is just an overwhelming, crushing, overcapacity load. The second one, it's not a conflict at all because, yeah, you're supposed to bear one another's burdens and then everybody has to bear their own load as well. That sounds like a contradiction. But the word there in verse 5 is an interesting word. It was a business term that the base word there that's used is a word that refers to a basically a wagon load or a, we would say a truck load or a train load of stuff. But the word that it's used here, it's in the diminutive which means it's a small version of that. And they would use this word, interestingly enough, in extra-biblical Greek. They would use it to refer to an invoice or to a shipping order. And, and what it is is this is the list of what you're carrying. And he's basically saying, you know what? We bear one another's burdens. We share the load. But everybody is responsible for their own work. Everybody is responsible for their own agenda. Everyone's responsible for their own shipping summary sheet, their own list of what it is that they are carrying. Now, how does this work out? Well, as he emphasizes here, examine your own work. Pay attention to yourself. Don't think you're something when you're nothing. Bear one another's burdens in a way of humility. Restore others with a spirit realizing that you can be devastated too. Wrapping it all up, it ends up being a beautiful balance that Paul is talking about here. There are some people who naturally want to bear other people's burdens. So often these people end up in helping professions of one kind or another. Perhaps as a therapist or a counselor, maybe as a pastor. Perhaps they volunteer to be involved in all sorts of ministries. But they're people that when we talk about bear one another's burdens and restore others, it's like you go, oh, I love to do that. It just makes me feel so good when I can help someone else. And it's a blessing to be that kind of person, and that is a truly spiritual thing to do. But you can't miss the whole picture here, because people who are those kinds of people, with those kinds of capacities, have to be very careful. Because in taking on everyone else's burdens, you yourself can become overloaded and burdened. And so often, because you're the type of person to take everybody else's burden, you don't let anyone have yours. You persist on your own strength. And so, as a result, as you read it down, if you're not considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, if you think you're something more than you are, and if you don't examine your own work and not in another, and if you, if you take everyone else's load so they don't have to carry their load, what's going to happen? You're going to be the person that needs healing and restoration. You'll always be that person at one time or another. We kind of take turns fixing each other. It's like if you look at guys who are in boot camp or in police or fire academy. When they're lined up, they have to look perfect or the whole group suffers. So you see the guys before they're lined up, they're all turning around, looking at each other, picking little threads and everything off the uniforms, everyone helping everyone else to look presentable so that everyone looks good. And that's good. That's the way it should be. It's one of the reasons why they expect you to look that sharp is so that you learn to look out for each other. That's sort of what we are to do in restoring each other and helping each other. However... That can be taken too far. And you can just go, I don't need to check my own uniform because somebody else will do it. 
And some people will start to live their lives so dependent on others that they never learn to really fix what keeps getting them in a jam. They, do, they make the same mistakes and pay the same consequences, continue to walk in the flesh in a way that destroys their life, and so they get in a deep hole, and then maybe their parents will bail them out. Here, I'll just, you know, because most parents feel a little guilty. They were out working too much. And so now when the kids are older and they need something significant, oh, yeah, I'll write a check and that'll feel good. But then does that person learn to take responsibility for themselves? Quite often not. They become dependent on you. And at one point it felt really good for you to be able to reach out and help your kids. The next thing you know, they're living with you. Next thing you know, it's like destroying your life. They live better than you do. You can't afford to go out because of all that you're doing for them, and they're going on these great vacations and eating at nice restaurants, and you're just starting to go, how'd this happen? Now that's my problem. And see, as a body, we have to be careful in this way because we all share, and there's restoration and healing that happens. But the reason we need restoration is because of sin. The reason we need restoration is because of the flesh. Remember, it's that, it's that devotion that we have to doing the wrong thing. It's the same thing that causes girls to be attracted to bad boys and boys to be attracted to bad girls. It's our flesh. And when we follow our flesh, we're injured or hurt. But the body of Christ has a message that heals and restores. But that message is a message of healing, but it's a message that makes it clear, look, I'm no better than you are. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm not judging you. I'm not rejecting you. You are my brother, my sister in the Lord. But at the same time, hey, let me give you a little help here, but I can't become the solution to your life's problems. You can't lean on me. I'm barely making it myself. You're going to have to figure out a way to handle your own shipping manifest. You're going to have to get to the point where you realize, I'm okay now. What happens? Maybe I can look at your little uh, shipping list, and we can together figure out some of this stuff we can dump. Maybe I can help you to get your life a little more organized. But at some point, as we help others, we just have to say, look, you're going to have to do this on your own. You're going to have to figure this out on your own. I try to help. But if you don't take my suggestions, sorry. You're going to have to keep feeling the pain until somehow you're ready to be restored. It's very frustrating when someone's life is falling apart and, you know, you can easily tell them what's wrong. It doesn't take Dr. Phil to look at most people's lives and see why they're messed up. And so, feel so bad and you encourage them and you pray for them and you just gently and really carefully make a couple suggestions. Do you think maybe you should stop doing this or do you think maybe you ought to do that? And it's stuff that would, that would bring such a healing in someone's life but they just won't listen. They don't take your advice. And see, it cannot be my energy that helps you walk in the Spirit. I think a lot of times pastors get up there and they're so intense and they're so worked up and so stressed and all week they're going nuts because they look at people and they're just going, man, I want all of you to be walking with the Lord and we want to do it for you. But the truth is, yeah, if I can lift a burden somehow, I want to do that. But I can't carry your load. I can't take your monkey on my back. And so I will never argue with you to try to convince you to do the right thing. Oh, I'm talking to people who are having problems in their relationship, and it's it's a a pretty simple thing to know what needs to be done, but, you know, I can't talk you into doing it. You probably know what you're supposed to do. So I just want to tell you, hey, I'm not judging you. You can be restored. You can be healed. God can do a work in your life. He wants to do a work in your life. But here's your shipping sheet. Here's your list of your life. And you're going to have to pick it up and take responsibility for it. Restoration starts from the support of the body, and we always want to do that. 
But for each of us, there's also an individual element of it that says, if I really want to be patched up and restored, if I really want to be fixed, I'm going to have to change what I do. If I continue to damage myself, you know, if I just beat my head against a wall until it bleeds, and then I go to the doctor and go, can you fix this? And he goes, sure, a few stitches, you'll be good as new. So I go back home and I start beating my head against a wall again. Open up the stitches, now fracture my skull. Go back to the doctor, can you fix this? Yeah, but it's becoming a lot more serious. How did this happen? Oh, it's a long story. You don't want to hear it. If you knew my wife, you'd understand. And so then he goes in there and operates on your head and, and puts some, something on your skull to glue it back together and again stitches you up. And you just keep doing that. They're not just going to go, you know what, let's just build you a rubber skull and we'll put Velcro on your head so when you rip it open, we just stick it back together and you'll be fine. And yet so often with our lives, we think that can happen. But healing and restoration comes. Yes, it only comes when someone reaches out to you. you. You can't see it yourself. You can't see your own weaknesses. You do the stupid things that you do because of your flesh, and you usually can't see it when it's happening. And so that's where body life comes in. That's where, as a brother or sister, we need to come alongside and go, do you realize what you're doing to yourself and to those around you? But then we have to take it a step further and say, there is hope, there is restoration. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to be like this. I accept you. I love you. God loves you. But look, at some point, I can't do this for you. I can help you today, but I can't solve your problems because they are your problems. And you're going to have to learn how to walk in the Spirit yourself. You're going to have to learn to make the changes in your life that you need to make so that you don't dig yourself into this kind of a hole. And if we continue to dig ourselves into a hole, there isn't anyone who can pull us out. You know, all we become are enablers, making it easy for someone to continue to be stupid. At some point, as we lovingly go, look, you're doing stupid things, man. You don't have to do this anymore. But then finally, we just have to take our hands away and say, this is your list. This is your load. This is what you are choosing to carry. And you know what? I'd like to do it for you. But if I did, it would crush me. I can't do it. So to be there to proclaim restoration in humility, being careful that we don't get tripped up in the process because it's a dangerous thing to do to reach out to others. The only thing more dangerous than reaching out to others is not reaching out to others because then we're all sunk. But finding this balance between bearing one another's burdens and explaining that you got a burden that you need to carry yourself as well and knowing when to give and when to pull back, knowing when to offer help and when to decline to help, that's something that comes from being filled with the Spirit. It's as we are walking in the Spirit, and we know that we're in the Spirit because we're going, I'm having love and joy and peace like I've never had before. Now God says, great, then share it. But you share it in the way that I tell you to share it. You extend grace when I tell you to extend grace. You give lessons when I tell you to give lessons. But it's not your job to take responsibility for others except as God leads you to do that. To lend a helping hand, yes. But, you know, the old, the old uh, saying, I guess supposedly from Confucius that said, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for today. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. Or as I heard someone say, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for today. If you teach a man to fish, he'll sit in a boat and drink beer all day. But... <laughs> I think the Confucius one was probably the first one. But that's kind of what he's saying here. Is there a way that we can equip other people to help them along the road to walking in the Spirit? Because if we just let our brothers and sisters walk in the flesh and we don't do anything about it, then their hatred and their adultery and their anger and their betrayal 
It's going to destroy them and it's going to destroy everyone around them as well. You guys, as a body of Christ, we are responsible for each other. And at the same time, we're each responsible for ourselves. Check your own list. See what you're doing. Are you taking on more than you should? Then the Spirit is really leading you to do? Then dump it off. And don't get upset if somebody comes to you and suggests that that might be the case. Is your life not going well and you're frustrated because you have no idea as to why? Make yourself vulnerable enough that maybe someone close to you is able to and feels confident enough that they can share with you maybe how they think you got there. It's a beautiful thing when you open yourself up to someone and just say, my life's kind of a mess. Do you think there's healing for me? Do you think there's something about me that And if that person has insight from the Spirit and can share with you and say it really gently and nicely and just like, well, I mean, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I love you, and I know a lot of things that have happened to you have been out of your control. But frankly, do you think that doing this and this and this is, do you think that's working for you? Do you think that's really how you want to live your life? And as that burden is lifted a little bit, as that help is given. Boy, what a powerful thing it is. Our flesh wants to just agree with what people are doing. When someone says to us, hey, is there anything you think I'm doing that's messing my own life up? Am I at fault here at all? My flesh just wants to go, nope, you're not. Your spouse, it's their fault. Society, it's their fault. Oh, this country of ours, those poli- it's George Bush's fault. You know, everything's George Bush's fault now. It's nice to have someone to fall back on, but ultimately, that doesn't help. You know, the fact that if I go into debt, it's really not just George Bush and the oil company's faults. There are probably some other things we've spent money on, or maybe how far we drive and places we go, cars we own. We have all sorts of contributions to it. And there are a million examples of that in our lives, and it's why we're messed up. It's because of sin. It's because of flesh. It's because we aren't listening to the Lord. And if there's any way that we can do that for others, to give someone hope, to say, you can be patched up. You can be renewed. You can be restored. Hey, you're not looking like much now, but God can do a great thing with your life, with where it is right now. And then at the same time realizing, okay, there you go. It's your life. Some of the things you're just going to have to deal with. If we could do that, how much better shape we would all be in if we had that kind of openness and honesty. And that comes from fruit of the Spirit. But again, as we saw last week, soon as you get spiritual, you get prideful. That's why we think a spiritual person is a puffed up prideful person because pride so often follows spirituality and it negates it by the way too and so be aware of that tendency of the flesh and then look for opportunities to reach out to someone who's really hurting and give them something really practical give them the offer of restoration Give them the word of healing and let them know. It's not, it it isn't like they're going, I can't do it anymore. And so you go, well, here, let me do it for you. No, it's lifting that burden long enough to go, you can do it. But you need to manage your list. You need to make better decisions. You need to hear from the Spirit of God and let him lead you. And he can make you smart when you've been stupid. He can make your decisions work instead of falling apart. And that's how the body works. And you guys, we are in this together. We have to offer this kind of outreach together. Not to create dependent people, not dependent on us, but to send people to where they can really get help and they can hear from the Spirit of God and learn from Him and benefit from Him. But you and I, if we're spiritual, we can learn how to be the voice to gently and lovingly and non-judgmentally let people see things that are blind spots in their life and lift that burden and help them to be restored and healed and to defeat the power of the enemy that has cut them off and that would try to destroy them.
And that's a, it's a great privilege to have that role in someone's life. You're not the Messiah, but you can point people to the Messiah. And you can show them by the way you live your life that there's a higher road, there's a better way, that healing really is possible. Restoration, it can happen. And you want to have a hand in that for them. You'll be there. Not to give a hand out, just to give a hand, as they say. And that's the image that Paul paints here of how the body is supposed to work. This is how restoration happens. It's a team project. Everyone pulling their share, everyone doing what they can. Ultimately, a work of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we see this restoration work and it's a beautiful thing. Other times, we're too busy ourselves, carrying our own burden. Not the load that we should have, but the burden that's crushing us. We get so busy that we don't have time for anyone else. We run from anyone who has a need. We try to ignore them. We isolate them because, well, it's just too much trouble. God, I pray that you would make us spiritual people so that we will be in a position to offer restoration and healing to those who desperately need it. And Lord, when we do that, remind us that we aren't the solution, that we just can point out the solution. Help us not to take all the burden on ourselves and then we've got problems, but help us to reach out and lift those burdens up to you and help where we can and know when to stop helping. God, I thank you for the way you've designed your people to work in this way, that we all matter, that we all have something to offer to each other. May we function as a team, as a unit, as a body. God, if there are people here this morning who are desperately in need of healing and restoration, I pray that you would bring someone along who can offer that word in a spiritual and non-prideful, non-judgmental way. Help us to be what you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here this morning,